1: Two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.
2: The Incomparable, number 703, February 2024.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an episode about a film released in 2023 it's up as we record this for many oscars it is oppenheimer directed by christopher nolan and i wanted to talk about this movie we did the barbie episode to fulfill our contracts as podcasters we must now do the oppenheimer episode to create the perfect barbenheimer balance to the year gone by in film um Also, I'm just going to put it out there. This was my favorite movie of last year. Anyway, we're going to talk about Oppenheimer (laughs) with these people. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, Kathy Campbell is here. Hi, Kathy.
0: Hi, Jason. Is anyone ever going to tell the truth?
3: Uh, It's a good question. Uh, Probably not. Um, uh, All of her scenes will be in black and white. It's Shelley Brisbane. Hello.
2: (laughs) Hello. That guy was totally not Harry Truman.
3: Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Commissioner Gordon is who it is. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Gary, Gary Ullman, Harry Truman. It's close,
0: close. Right. Right. They almost rhyme. Almost. And listen, they only had one sh- day to film him. So right. you can only you do what you get can. get him in
1: there. And, uh, Cicero Holmes is here. Hi, Cicero. Uh, hi, uh, Jason. Uh, when Christopher Nolan makes the movie about me, Cillian Murphy will play me.
0: Oh, perfect likeness.
1: Yes.
3: That's good. Well, he's, he's, he's good in everything. Yeah.
1: So you just take
3: take Killian Murphy when you can get him. Uh, He was, you know, the Scarecrow in the the Dark Knight movies, directed by Christopher Nolan. I I, I was saying to my wife, this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Now, I am not a Christopher Nolan fanboy. I know there are Hmm. super Christopher Nolan fans out there. I'm kind of mixed on Christopher Nolan. Like, there are a lot of it where it's like, I like some of his movies that people love, and I'm kind of meh on some of the movies people like and so i end up feeling like i'm just not all in on christopher nolan like some people yeah. are however i love this movie and think it's his best movie so uh, and and i said to lauren i think it's his best movie and she said well what have I seen of his? And I was like, well, <laughs> those the there's a, the two Batman movies. Uh, she's like, yeah, she didn't love those. Said, there's there's uh, Insomnia, and there's uh, Memento. And, then, and I realized, wow, I've seen a lot of... And I said, there's that boat movie. And she's like, what boat <laughs> movie? Done. And I said, uh, <laughs> Dunkirk. <that's laughs> the, <Yeah. laughs> that, is, that is a boat movie. Yes, it is. It is a boat movie. <laughs> anyway, he's made a lot of movies, and I, I think a lot of good movies, but I'm not one of these people who's like, well, give me Oppenheimer, or I give me Christopher Nolan. It doesn't matter what it is. It's about like Tenet or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't care, you know, Inception. Well, no, I, 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 this one just, just hit me. So it is, I did read, um, not the book it's based on, but the Making of the Atomic Bomb a couple of years ago, because I thought it was a very interesting subject. This is based on another book that I read after I saw it in theaters. Um, that is the definitive biography called American Prometheus, um, Nolan does some interesting things with this movie. So, so yeah, Killian movie. Killian movie. It is. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it that. is this the is a Killian, Killian, Killian movie. movie. It is very much a Killian Fe- movie. Fe- featuring Killian Murphy. He's in almost everything that's in this movie. Um, yeah. But it's two time frames that, that, you know, that Christopher Nolan with his multiple interwoven timeline thing that he does. But this one, I appreciated he does it right up front. He labels them Fission and Fusion. One of them's in black and white. One of them's in color. Now, I will complain that that one of them's in color, but it itself also is mostly comprised of flashbacks to his whole life. So it's not quite one time frame. It's sort of like all the time frames, except for the other set that are in black and white. Also, interestingly, the stuff that is the most present day, you know, it's the 50s, is the one that's in black and white. And his, the rest of his life story is in color, also kind of interesting. But at least I feel like for a director who is often he's going to trick you with his crazy time sequencing in this movie, he just lays it out. He's like, nope, there's there's this story and that story, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put them together, <laughs> and that's how I'm gonna make it work. It's interesting. What do people think yeah. about the way it's structured?
2: I liked it. I didn't. I sometimes find if if you tell me that a movie is going to jump around in time. I am not predisposed to like it because often that means that the director is trying to be too cute about mm. it. Uh,
3: this was kind of exhausting easy. sometimes. Yeah, it's to exhausting. Exactly.
2: It. And whether it wasn't just the fact that you went from black and white to color and back and forth, it was. I, I found it easy to follow, and I found it yeah. made sense, and I found that it gave the movie a kind of a style that I appreciated because a biopic. Oh my god! And I've watched so many old style biopics. And I knew this was not going to be one of those, yeah. but it's so hard to do a biopic and make it interesting because, mm-hmm. and then he did this and then he did that. Right. Then, so how, how do you structure it? And it seems like a biopic is kind of the perfect opportunity to fool around with time a little bit, but not lie to the audience or try to trick the audience which I think sometimes a director will do. Hey, look what this fun thing I can do with time. It's up to you to figure out where you're going. But <laughs> I don't feel like the I don't feel like Nolan did that at all. I think I think it was very easy to follow, very easy. And it it made sense and it made it it broke up the sort of ladder of let's move from the beginning to the end.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed so I was a big nerd and I watched the extras, of course, because I'm like, oh, I love people that are passionate about what they do and what they create. And this is a perfect example of like someone that really, really enjoys what they do and is very careful about everything that they choose. And I mean, just the fact that they went to kodak to be like hey can you make this film but yeah. in black and white <laughs> like who does that who th- who imagines like oh i want this Nolan. like let's just yeah yeah <laughs> because he has a budget and he can <laughs> exactly. do that exactly yeah. exactly and something that i think was also really interesting is how so it wasn't just the black and white versus color but uh the position of the cameras also with black and white versus color so the black and white was kind of meant to be sort of from Strauss's point of view, right. but not really. And mostly color was from Oppenheimer. And I think like that inner linking of it, like very deliberate, obviously, because it's Christopher Nolan, that's the only way he works. Uh, it just added that extra layer that made it easier to follow than a lot of these. Ooh, what time is it? Who knows? And then the fact that no one really aged too, um, almost helped it. So like, there wasn't. Oh, you know, this is a a, a You know, the guy's older because he's got a big gray mustache now. Right. Like there, it was all just very like, okay, we're gonna tell you the story and let it happen.
3: The um, the the time sequence thing. I I agree. Uh, like look, Christopher Nolan made his name with the most audacious uh time trickery in uh in his first movie in in memento, right? Right. That's yeah. why I was afraid right? when I realized there were gonna right. be time shifts. But, but here here it is, I think, crystal clear the whole time. And and I listened to an interview with him about writing the screenplay. He was on John August's script notes podcast. And he he got uh, John August asked him about the time frame thing and he said for Oppenheimer he said he said he thinks it's cheating if what you do is sort of what Shelley described, which is you tell a linear story and then you chop it up in order to be tricky or something. And he said, I wrote it in order of what it's in the movie, because the point of the two time sequences is juxtaposition of, uh, you know, the one scene followed immediately by the other scene. That means something. It's actually yeah. meant to echo at every point and watching it a second time I per- I picked up on so many more conscious echoes that happen throughout it's not just at the end where Strauss gets what he's been given to Oppenheimer throughout the movie <laughs> it is just throughout there are all of these moments where it's commenting on one scene by leading into the other or vice versa and and, and yet I never felt lost because in part because Oppenheimer essentially is his own narrator the way that color section is structured where he's giving his prepared statement to the review board he that is he's telling the linear story of his life i, I admittedly in flashback but it is linear and he's his own narrator so he can provide the movie can show him describing what's happening when it needs to place it in a particular context and as a result i didn't ever feel lost which is a thing that you know you can do that with a movie and nolan does that with movies Uh, like dunkirk i'm completely lost at many points (laughs) but not in oppenheimer oppenheimer felt really clear to me
1: this is the least i mean directly to that point jason this is the least uh confused i've been about a timeline in a nolan film ever um dunkirk i was lost the entire time yeah (laughs) dunkirk dunkirk i i saw in the theaters um with with my partner and uh, a couple of some friends of ours and we sent the women in first and came in late and came in like five minutes into the film um, so we went and asked them what's happening and they had no answers I for no it. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. So there's boats, Cicero. There's right. just lots of people so, on boats. Yeah. So the, so the entirety of the film I just spent confused. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, there's, you know, there's goofy timeline stuff that you have to, you know, you have to take a quiz for beforehand in order to know it mm. going in, and there's a cheat sheet. But but yeah, this film, I I completely understood it. It I thought it was um. Very well done. It was brilliantly done by by Nolan in in this particular instance. Uh, to uh, again, to your point, Jason, I I'm probably more of a Christopher Nolan fan than you are. Um, but the I think the bizarre part about it is the things that people love. I'm probably less enamored. Interesting. With. Um, mm. And and there are some films that people don't really like that I'm like, oh man, these are great. I loved Inception. Um, I also really was, I was very fond of the chances that he took with Tenet. And that's the thing that I love about Nolan. You know, like him, like him or not, or, or like his films and not like his films, he's audacious enough yeah. to take risks. Yes. And, and, and in a business such as Hollywood, in the movie business, it is so rare and unique to see someone actually take the risk, um, so to to see him continually take those risks um, is is uh, remarkable, and I, I will always applaud and and reward um, by by going to to the cinema to go and see it. um, Someone who is willing to go out and do those things. And you may not be successful all the time. In fact, I don't want you to be successful all the time. Right? Um,
0: Yeah. You learn more if you're not.
1: Right. And, um, but, but he was, he was 100% successful with, with Oppenheimer. Um, The, the other thing Nolan is successful with is I generally the theater I go to cost me seven bucks. Um, uh in matinee which is before 6 p.m. and it's 9 bucks after 6 p.m. What? to go see mm. to go see a I film. I didn't
0: realize you could watch movies from 2023 back in 1997.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, amazing. Right, right, right. So, um the fact that I didn't go to that theater and instead went to an IMAX theater uh. where I spent 20 something dollars for a ticket um and and spent spent it on two tickets uh, for me and my partner to go is is really really saying something and i and i left uh completely satisfied it was incredible to go see this film in IMAX and really get to ex- just experience mm-hmm. what what it was um it, just an incredible like if if you're hearing me and you've already seen the film and you haven't you didn't have a chance to see it in IMAX and you think about those scenes that would have been spectacular in IMAX um, that you can imagine, yes, they were. Huh. Yes, they <laughs> well, that's, were.
2: That's that's interesting to me because uh, when uh, in, in the whole Barbenheimer time when friends were going to see one or the other or both, everybody who wanted to see Oppenheimer wanted to see it in IMAX and did and said the same thing you just did, Cicero. I watched this movie t- today. Oh, sorry, I'm <laughs> late prep. <laughs> I, I watched it today uh, and I thought to myself, there are parts of this movie that I'm sure are spectacular in IMAX and there are other parts of this movie where it, because it's so talky and there's so many face facial close-ups and so many dudes in suits in rooms, I was thinking to myself, does that feel like a waste when you're looking at that IMAX screen, or is it all worth it when you get to the point of either the atomic bomb or the sort of stylized changes between black and white and color? I mean, it's interesting. In a three-hour movie with so many different things happening, well, with, with kind of two different things happening as either sort of an epic, <laughs> yeah. spectacular kind of scene or guys in suits, yeah. you know, what's that like in an IMAX environment?
3: Hats, too. Lots of hats.
1: Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of hats. I, I saw uh, it in seventy millimeter,
3: move. and I thought it was spectacular too. Not IMAX, just a regular seventy millimeter. But that, again, just the opportunity to see a movie in a packed theater that it was hard hard to get, even get find seats in, weeks after it came out. Um, it was beautiful. It was also beautiful in four K HDR on my TV yesterday. Yeah. Right, like it, it is a it, it is a beautifully shot movie, and I I feel like one of the things that Nolan is pushing in this movie is his um his filmmaking skills right like instead of it being let me show off how clever i am as a screenwriter i feel like he wants to make this movie more uh, you know it's it's not just the writing it's the visuals and you know he's he's not his own cinematographer he has a cinematographer but i think that that his goal is to make this movie look and sound with the sound effects and the music yeah. and be re- structured in a way that it kind of fulfills that, that whole, but it, certainly the like the black and white looks gorgeous in 70 millimeter. I imagine looks gorgeous in IMAX and the and you usually get in a theater like it. You also get pretty good sound, which I think is a huge part of this movie too. Right.
1: And, and, and if there is one thing that I have a problem with, with, with respect to Nolan films, it's Hans Zimmer's, soundtrack right like the the score (laughs) is too like i feel like a a a 70 year old is too darn loud can you turn it down interstellar was was uh, again i went to see it in imax because it's a nolan film and it was it was it was too much it was way too intense it was just loud for the sake of being loud there were things blaring all over the place and this film there were There were great swells and there were, there was great music and it was a great score. And I didn't think they overdid it. And one of the things that was, was fantastic was the moments when there was no score, when there was Mm -hmm. no, um, uh, silence. Yeah. The silence in there, um, was, it was so eerie. Like it, it, it almost became a horror, horror film. Um, it was really, yeah, really great,
3: especially around the, the Trinity explosion. This Ludwig Göransson did the music for this, and there are moments where I think he's trying to give a little Hans Zimmer. Um, there are moments when I feel like he's trying to be almost a little um Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, almost mm. a little bit.
0: Yeah, I can um, see
3: that. But it's but it's really good. I I like how it is. You're right, Cicero. The music it points because look we haven't even talked about sort of what this story is about, but like it is kind of a horror story depending on your point of view. And it is tense and serious and the music will often directly make you, you know, make you feel that about what what you're seeing. And then other times you're left with a silence. Um,
2: but it was in- understated, even in the parts where the music is underscoring what's happening on screen. I never thought it was trying too hard. It wasn't one of these sort of Hi, we're doing blockbusters. It wasn't John Williams, you know. We're not yeah. doing blockbusters yeah. here, or Hans Zimmer. Frankly, no, it's like restrained. I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't pick that connection up, and now I want to go back and watch just so I can see if I can find the Hans Zimmer because that <laughs> is kind of <laughs> there's moments where now. he's trying
3: to be bombastic, but it, it is very yeah. restrained. I just there are moments yeah. where I'm like, oh okay, I, I, I well, I watched it and thought. Is this Hans Zimmer? Because this sounds way too calm to be Hans Zimmer. And then it's like, oh, right. no, it's Ludwig Goranson. Okay. All <laughs> right. But I think he is trying to give, in moments, he's trying to give Christopher Nolan kind of what he probably, he figures he wants, which is Zimmer-esque. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's way more restrained, restrained than that. Shelley, I am very fascinated by the fact that you watched this movie today. That's really. I am
2: fascinated by that too, because it seems like the kind of movie <laughs> that I would have watched on opening weekend, and I'm not sure why I didn't. I I love history, and I was interested, and I've I've consumed both written and filmed Oppenheimer material before, but for some reason, I, I maybe it was the Nolan factor because I'm as I'm not I'm not not a fan, but I'm not a fan either. Like I don't, I, I was yeah. wondering whether it would be challenging and whether it would annoy me as far as because I really I sort of secretly like biopics, even though as I feel like they're very hard to make. I enjoy the idea that you tell the story of something that happened through the eyes of an individual or that you're just telling one person's story. And so I like them, but I'm often tortured because they're not good. And so I was not Mm. worried that this wouldn't be good. I was just worried that it would be too Christopher Nolan-esque and that I would be like, okay, I'm lost. What are we doing? And I just Never saw it. And so, honestly, I signed up to, to join you, nice people, because I wanted to force myself to watch it. And I'm, I'm glad it did. Thank you, Sean. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and as I say, from, from a history point of view, it's very interesting. I, but the thing that surprised me about it was how much material there was. Not just that it's three hours long, but how much they, try, they got in about. It's dense. Yes, it's very dense. And honestly, yes. I think especially in the last third, I think that might be kind of a downfall of mm-hmm. it because you have to remember who what the relationships are of all these people and there's the political intrigue that starts to become more more clear as to how it how it's being done in the last third. And I feel like there's there's just A lot of density that I'm astonished that it was as successful and wildly popular as it was, because it seems like the kind of movie that a certain segment of the audience would love, love, love. And the rest would go, what is that? I don't know what that's about, because it's not as much about the effects of the nuclear explosion or even a political story. It's about a bunch of guys in hats, one of whom is a theoretical physicist.
3: It's the, uh, yeah, men in suits and hats. Uh, and and uh, I, I think there are at least two women in the movie, and maybe at most. <laughs> there right. right. are
0: right. eight named
3: characters. Yes, right. Yeah, but there were really are like t- only two women wow. who, who are important at all. Who
0: quote unquote matter. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued
3: so first off, the book. So having watched the movie and then read the the biography and then watched the movie today, again. Uh, yeah, all today. No, um, the no, that was me. Look, the book, <laughs> the book is very aware that it is the definitive book about this man. That there will not ever be a book that will be able to be the definitive book, right? So, and the book knows that and then famously the one author got bogged down and the other author came in and and went through his notes and got the project going and they got the book done but the problem with that is there are controversies about Oppenheimer where they did lots of research to put on the record all these things about his security clearance being uh, revoked and 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 to do that you've got to talk about all of his associations with various communists in In Berkeley, what there are communists in Berkeley, shocker. Uh, And (laughs) and and so, what the book ends up bog. I liked the book, but I didn't love the book. In part because the book realizes it has to do all the detail work on all the relationships that Oppenheimer had including with communists and like people who were fellow travelers of communists, but weren't actually communists and deal with was Oppenheimer a communist and was his brother a communist and how long was his brother a communist? And and then all the detail about uh, Strauss, the, the, the Robert Downey Jr. character, and about his clearance com- committee and 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 the transcript of that and all of these things that are going on. And it crushes the story because it's not At least for me, it's not that interesting. I get that it's really important to history, but (laughs) I don't care about it, right? Like I would rather summarize it, and and the book can't summarize it because it has to be definitive. Nolan drops most of that right out, but you are left with Nolan deciding to use the the hearing and then the confirmation hearing of uh, Admiral Strauss as... Uh As the juxtaposition for the movie, so that we kind of we kind of have a villain and we have a mystery. Oh, what did Einstein say, and we get that kind of uh Oppenheimer gets the shaft, and the guy who shafted him then gets what's coming to him but while that is an interesting bit of structure, and I think it drags the movie along just fine to Shelley's point, I also agree I feel like the last half hour of this movie is aftermath, that after they explode the bomb and grapple with the outcome and worry about the future, after all that happens, I don't know if I care about Robert Downey Jr. getting a cabinet (laughs) position in the Eisenhower administration, you know? And I get why it's there, but I'm like, "Mm." it's like, isn't the movie over? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I actually had to, you know, pause it to look and see, oh, 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 yeah. this isn't just the end. Oh, okay. We've still got, uh, all right. Because it felt like the end and like, I did I hit the post credit scene somehow and miss it or what? Mm. And no, it was still no. the actual movie.
1: Frodo, Frodo still needs to go off with Gandalf. That's across, right. <laughs> <across> <laughs> <Yeah. later. laughs> right. Right, right.
2: The, the trouble is that probably the political intrigue part at the end would be more interesting if it wasn't after two and a half hours of other stuff, including, oh, yeah, we exploded a nuclear bomb. (laughs) Right. The, The other problem is that all that stuff about whether people were communists in the 30s, I mean, that touches so much of political history, of film history, believe it or not. I mean, so many industries and so many groups of people were touched by the were they or weren't they. And there's the whole thing about uh, how communism was uh, tolerated in certain circles before the war, during the war and after the war. And I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a little bit of explanation of that because we were allies with the Soviets in, the wor- in World War II and previous to World War II. Uh, you know, being a communist might have not have been the best thing for your career, but it wasn't you know, the McCarthy, Army Army McCarthy hearings, which was after the war. And so I found it a little bit bloodless because it's like, here are all these people that are either communists or fellow travelers. What are, why are they doing it? What do they believe in? Oppenheimer has left-wing political views. What does that mean? Like for, for him, how does that animate the way we see him as a character? We don't learn that because it's not all that important. There's too much other stuff going on in the movie, but it means that it's less interesting because it's bloodless. You're like, oh, mm. he's... He may or may not have been a communist, but what does that actually mean? And then, like I say, there's the the whole issue of how communism was treated. Uh, This is especially true in, in Hollywood history, but how communism was treated during the war versus after the war, because immediately after the war, the switch flipped, and that's when you had the really, really harsh crackdowns beginning against people whose political views were fine and dandy, even in the government, six months before. And then all of a sudden, after the war, it was not at all cool yeah. to have even been close to the left wing. And then you have Senate, hear- Senate and House hearings where people are, you know, literally, almost literally spitting venom, venom at, at others. And there wasn't any of that. There was a lot of guys in suits who were mostly calm, like it, it, all of these political things that happened in the 50s, nobody is particularly excited. It's it's all kind of it's all kind of bloodless political intrigue. And so I found that weighed the movie down because there had to be so much of it, even though, as you say, a lot of it probably was cut out.
1: Well, I, I the the way I kind of saw it and, and you know, I, I think, Shelley, the things that you're saying right now about it only kind of confirm the way that I view the film is that that last portion, right? The the, the part where we're you know we're sitting down you know we're sitting at a at a confirmation hearing is it was the conceit that for for which the film exists right is the fact that Oppenheimer is sitting down narrating the the course of his life. Right. And in in the in the uh, in the throes of Of making this narration you you know you want to give a a fair and and um unbiased account of your life but you don't want to accentuate things that you know are still touchy subjects like what what really were your left-leaning ideologies um You know, what were the fellow travelers uh, thinking about and, and, you know, what their purposes were or, you know, what was going on with the Communist Party? Like, even if we weren't in the throes of McCarthyism during the course of of this closed door hearing um, or, or at least his his interview, we were we were close enough to it that we weren't far enough removed from it that people could be objective in hearing the facts of of what the minutiae of of people's beliefs and their you know their 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 ideologies were, um so I think that there was some intentionality behind really kind of muddying all all of the things that you said about the film, Shelley, I think were at least could be explained away narratively as being intentional there's a great
3: scene to that effect where. Uh, Matt Damon, as General Groves, is called before the the committee to authorize or, you know, it's a setup to not authorize Oppenheimer's <laughs> security clearance. And they ask him, you know, basically, would you, based on the rules that we have now, would you ever have allowed him to be cleared? And, and Matt Damon, as Groves, says, well, no, but I've, you know, but... I've never doubted and his loyalty. But but the it, the point is there which is the rules have changed.
0: <laughs> right.
3: 100%. And, and 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 therefore uh this is a foregone conclusion and and I don't know the Strauss stuff like it's it's a it's a nice narrative thing but I I think that the movie wants wants the audience to care more about the uh comeuppance of Strauss. Like the one the part that gets me the most, and I, I, I really do love this movie, but the but if there is a weakness to me, there there are a couple things we're gonna talk about. But like one of them is um that the movie, I think, it thinks that we're invested more in the comeuppance of straws than we actually are. And, mm, yeah. and, and, and the best place for it is throughout the movie. It's like why there's Academy Award winning actor Rami Malik playing a random guy who appears for no reason as a minor character. They, we went to Chicago to visit Enrico Fermi and hey, Rami Malik is there. He's going to surely he'll be important. And then you don't see him again forever. And then he shows up one more time. And you're like, why is Rami Malik in this movie? And it's right at the end where it's like, now we're going to co- have this guy testify. And I feel like the movie actually wants us to be like, oh man, here comes Rami Malik. But when he does, it's like, yeah, he, he lowers the boom on straws, but I don't know. I'm like, okay, like, great. Right. Take that, take that black and white guy. Right. Um, and it's just not uh, like, I, I get it. It provides structure. It also is about. You know it, the 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 turnabout is fair play of the what he did to to Oppenheimer now happens to him, and then but like there's another version of this movie that's shorter that just shows that. Uh, he does get awarded that award by Oppenheimer and we get the flashback that I think is really brilliant to Einstein, where he says, when they start giving you awards, those awards are for them and not you just that happened to me, it's going to happen to you. And that's absolutely it. Also, we, we would have missed the wonderful moment where his wife gets to stare down, uh, the guy who, who basically, uh, the scientist who was, uh, who was not what is that uh is a teller and 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 he like oh let's you shook his hand you shook his hand and then he <laughs> wants to shake her hand in that moment in the in the white house and she's like nope that those are great moments but like Yeah, I don't know. The Robert Downey Jr. stuff. Again, it needs to be there, but I I feel like it's like in the book. Like, I know this is part of Oppenheimer's life, but I honestly don't think it's the most interesting part. But
2: I think you might
3: care more if he's a character that people
2: had heard of. I mean, if he was somehow involved. Yeah. Just if you knew who he was. yeah. like, I never heard of this guy. No. I know who Edward yeah. Teller is. And I was fascinated by that because Edward Teller goes on to be one of the architects of Ronald Reagan's Star Wars policy. So he has a long career in this kind of stuff. And so that's, mm. I, I, I was wondering if they were going to sort of tip to that and they didn't. But I kept thinking of that about Edward Teller that like he he goes on and he continues to advise people about how to, you know, drop bombs or defend defend against them.
3: So what, what this movie, uh, look, Why do a movie about J. Robert Oppenheimer? Like, why? The answer is he is a very interesting character who is at a pivotal moment in history. He creates the uh, the first modern uh, school of of uh, quantum physics in America there's a great moment. And this is a good use of that framing sequence of him being asked by the commission, by the, the security commission about this. Like, why did you go overseas? Why didn't you do it here? He said, well, there was nothing here. He said, I thought we had a great program here. And he says, yeah, I made it. Right. (laughs) So he is this brilliant person who goes overseas. He's miserable in England. He injects an apple with cyanide. That totally happened. Uh, because he is, he's just kind of despondent and needs and has, has to go into therapy. Uh, uh, they finally send him off to a different program in Germany where he really does sort of learn the new physics that is emerging and ends up going back to the US to start a program at Berkeley. And then that leads ultimately to his involvement in this larger issue which is the building of an atomic bomb i also really enjoy the juxtaposition between him and ernest lawrence who is josh hartnett who is the this is and this is absolutely true the big broad-shouldered blonde-haired golden all-american boy who is the legend of the lab whereas uh, oppenheimer is the small jewish man who is completely (laughs) theoretical they are Opposites and they work together, but they are also political opposites. Lawrence is a Republican. Obviously, as we've said, uh, Oppenheimer is a lefty. It, it you know there's a lot of really interesting stuff that beautiful shots that they shot on on the Berkeley campus. I remember when they did that, they were like on Sunday morning at eight a.m. Uh, the old cars are for a Christopher Nolan movie. Don't ask any questions. And so they, <laughs> they, they shot they shot their shots there. So anyway, it, it is it is he's an interesting figure at a very important moment in history, surrounded by a lot of other famous people, including uh, Fermi. And Zillard and uh, Teller and Niels Bohr in a surprising uh, appearance by Kenneth Branagh uh, doing right? his best <laughs> Danish action. I enjoyed that.
2: I, I liked that. I, yeah. I, I liked his Niels Bohr a lot. Yeah. And I liked the way they, they introduced us to him. And then they brought him back later in a way in a way that's like, oh, wow. Because I, I, I knew that history a little bit, but I didn't remember at what point he, re- he gets to come back to the United States yeah, or they, to they, the United States.
3: They smuggle him out and he just tells it as a yeah. story. It is a great story. He's like, literally, they smuggle him out in an English plane and he didn't get his mask on right. So he passed out, but he didn't die. He woke back up. <laughs> so they got him <laughs> he's out. He's still alive. And so we get all of that. Like he's at a, at a moment in history and he becomes, he's a fascinating character too, because he is not the superstar theoretical physicist he is a star but they put him in charge groves puts him in charge of building this uh this secret lab and building the bomb and he is the one who picks new mexico because he spent summers riding horses all around in the middle of nowhere in new mexico and thinks oh i got a good place we'll kick the boys school out and we'll build a thing in los alamos and 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 that part of it is, to me, the most interesting because he's a man of many contradictions. He is a, a very a, look, everybody's complicated, right? But he is a very complicated person with a very complicated professional and personal life and is put in the middle of a w- the war machine trying to stop the Germans. Uh, all of that, you know, I I just I find that all fascinating. And, and, and I do think that the fact that he's telling the story by these questioners y- leads you to you know they're interrogating it but they're also allowing him to explain the significance of the things that happened in his life i think it's all really you know there are a lot of interesting things do you wear a uniform or not that's that's like a whole chapter in the book but it's one scene in the movie about like take off the stupid uniform and how do you how do you herd the cats that are these scientists who are not soldiers and they're and the, and the, and the army people are just frustrated by them like there's just a lot of good Stuff in there, while you're also thinking to yourself what what they're making, right and, and and they are inaugurating, and the last scene drives it home, they are inaugurating the creation of weapons that once they exist, everybody's going to want to have them, and at that point there's the capability of destroying the planet. like that's it, like whether they, they, whether they ignite the atmosphere or not. right. That is, uh, that is it. And it's just, what a fascinating set of, uh, uh, that that's why Oppenheimer, right? He allows you to tell all of those stories wrapped around this one guy.
2: Well, and he's just this mercurial dude. Such I mean, an
3: interesting guy, right? Yeah, like,
2: and, and who has obviously qualms, both qualms about what he's doing and great passion for the for the science part and for the part that says if we do this we can cut the war short there is that I mean that is that is not a minor part of why those uh, why so many people of what what you might call you know lefty persuasion end mm-hmm. up on that side of the equation and he yeah he has his complicated personal life he ends up you know, repudiating things that he he believed earlier in his life, uh, and well, he the is, moment
3: that Lawrence is like, you got to drop this if you want to be on this project. He's like. Done. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that was interesting to me is that whenever I've read, and I haven't read American Prometheus, but whenever I've read anything about Los Alamos and, and Oppenheimer, uh, General Groves is also a huge character, mm-hmm. more so than even in the movie, and also quite a character. Not just a yes. not just a general, but he's he's pretty outrageous. I think he had some personal quirks. He and Oppenheimer didn't always get along, and mm-hmm. I kind of expected it would be a, a kind of a a war or a mano a mano kind of thing between those two guys and it's really not that he's Groves is, is there and he's clearly the military leader of this outfit but but they say in the movie they give Oppenheimer a great deal of the the managerial credit for making this thing happen you know you're gonna build him a town go build cuz Oppenheimer yeah. says I want a town go build a town
3: yeah it's a it's a fascinating dynamic um Oppenheimer well like the the whole scientist um I'm reminded of that line, like, I, "Look, I just build the bomb; I don't drop it." Th- this is what is at the core of this movie, in some ways, is you have scientists who are well aware of what they're doing, and we see this to this day in the tech industry, right? Which is there is the glory and excitement of making new things and 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 going into new ground and the and you can choose to not think about what you're doing and how it impacts the world and society because the glory is in the discovery and in furthering whatever your area of study or your area of interest is and you see it in these scientists too they are more aware than i think your average facebook engineer maybe is in terms of thinking of the soci- social impact of this because a lot of them, and this is true and, and, and it's mentioned in the movie, a lot of these uh, these phys- nuclear physicists, by the way, are Jewish and many of them are have family who ha- who is in or has fled Germany in the 30s. So everybody is really well aware that they need to do this before the Nazis do. And the good news, and it's mentioned in one scene and it's really absolutely true, is the best thing that happened to the nuclear program of the U S is Hitler's anti-Semitism, which drove all the good scientists out of Germany and the ones who remained were not really given enough material to do what they needed to do. So they were able to, to manage that. But these, so these scientists are very motivated to stop Hitler, which is what happened when Hitler dies and it's just Japan, that is the beginning of that discussion of, well, wait a second. Wait a a second. This is
0: not my deep enemy. Do I still want to kill these people? There's not one person in Japan. Can
3: we put the genie back in the bottle? And the answer is no. No, You can't.
0: (laughs) Because the warmongers still want to do what
3: they want to do with it. And they know the Soviet Union is going to be the enemy in the long run after this is all over. And... It, it just, it, it is that, that idea of it, it's all wrapped up in Oppenheimer, right? He is aware at the time. He's sort of aware of it, but you also, he has the dawning realization, which is now Hitler's out of the equation, but we're still building the bomb. It's a great achievement, but at the same time, it's a horrible achievement. And then when it's, the bombs are dropped, when the bomb is dropped on Hiroshima, it is a, uh, it is an achievement and there's applause, but even in that moment, and there's that scene where we, the, the echo, it's like a horror movie right Cicero that that stomping yeah. on the on the uh, bleachers that we've heard as a horror sound throughout and we discover it is his moment of triumph where the bomb has been dropped and they've been successful and by that point it's already a horror for Oppenheimer it's just fascinating right like it's that juxtaposition of I've done this great thing I've done this terrible thing they're the same thing
1: yeah uh and and y- you know there there are great art obviously um has the ability to draw parallels uh, to the real world, and there were a lot of parallels in this film. Um, that if you know if you're if you're paying attention, even uh, you know somewhat right. Like if you're if you're the 14 year old boy or girl looking through your phone while you're watching this movie, you'll even <laughs> then you'll be able to see uh, the parallels that you can draw from. Uh, the way the world is today to the cautionary tale that history tries to teach us through this film. And, um, you know, I, I again, I, I applaud, uh, I applaud the effort that was made here. And I uh, again applaud, uh, Nolan for just, uh, th- the risks that he's willing to take, and the fact that that he's been so successful throughout uh, his career that uh, you know the studios will greenlight and just give him whatever Pretty money, yeah. he wants. right, whatever Seriously. whatever money he needs in order to make make those things come uh, come to pass. Um, the other thing that that he's able to do because he is so great is assemble. Um, you know, uh, pun pun, not necessarily intended. An Avengers like you know <laughs> squad of of actors, right? Like there are just incredible performance performers and performances up and down the list, right? Like you know Rami Malik, right? Like you said, yeah. Jason. Why Rami Malek in comes this? in for two, right, yeah. for for two scenes, and and he's fantastic in those two scenes. But again, but why is he in this? You know, like Casey Affleck's in here, and and yeah. you know, and Robert Downey Jr.'s is in, here. like, yeah. you know, I mean, like it's just everybody's here why
3: why is matthew modine in this movie well he's in it and david krummholtz actually as great as robbie robbie's a great character that's (laughs) there were so
0: many times i just had you know call sheet open on my phone the entire time i'm like who's who's oh yep yep i know them i know know that person yeah it's it's
3: that yeah well because he's got that he's got that ability um I want to talk about the women, but before we do that, I want to talk about the, the bomb dropping just a little bit longer because, I mean, there's a visceral, the scenes at Trinity are amazing and they're, and they're very visceral. And I enjoy the, the panes of glass and the guy with the, uh, the, uh, sunscreen on his face. Yeah. And oh, that like, was so funny. The, like there's all, all of that. And, and the idea that they're like, uh, only late in the game, uh, does, uh, does Groves say like, "What do you mean? Uh, there's a chance they'll like, ignite the atmosphere"? And he's like, no, "No, no, 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 no. It's just we're just kidding. It's probably not going to happen." What? What do you mean? It's I would also like, maybe what, we
2: should what, move back. What's What's better than zero? <laughs> right. yeah. what's, better, yeah.
3: what's better? than you know essentially zero? He said, "Well, zero yeah. would be better right. than yeah. essentially zero. <laughs> but the the um one of the criticisms I've seen about the movie, and I think that it's I I get it, but I also disagree with it, is that the movie doesn't show anything of Japan, and what I would say is, I love how the movie handles it because we stay with Oppenheimer, and the horror is clear. He, there are like hallucinations of horribleness in in flashes, and there are flashes of light, and there's just these horrible sounds, and, and so the movie is very clear. They're not depicting. Which I think I don't think works in the structure of the movie to defi- depict things that don't happen where Oppenheimer is, but he is haunted by the horror of it. And I think I think the movie is very successful. I'm interested in what you think at getting a getting that across. Like a different movie, like the, the making of the atomic bomb. The last chapter of it is a detailed description of what happened before, during, and after the bomb in Hiroshima. Um, the Oppenheimer biography doesn't do that. It's a biography of Oppenheimer. I feel like that Nolan was like, I need to make sure that the horror of the bomb is seen through the horrible imagery of the imagination of Oppenheimer and his guilt. And I think it did a pretty good job of that. And I'm not, I'm not sure there's any better way that this, this movie could do it. But what did you all think about how, how the dropping of the bomb on Japan is handled?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I witnessed that through, through his, through his performance, right? And, and um, just, just, you could, you could see the, the angst and the anguish. Um, and the, and the the sheer terror, like he almost became green, he almost became sick. Mm. Um, and the, you all, know, all the applause he receives, he is basically disgusted by. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I I I felt all of that. Right. And uh, and it was, I I, I guess I want to say that it was. Not necessarily the first time that I really thought about it from that perspective, because obviously, um, you know, we're we're even even as I was learning about the dropping of the bombs, we were far enough removed, you know, in school, uh, we were far enough removed from those moments that the the Zionistic enthusiasm enthusiasm, um, for those events had died down. Um, So, you know, so there was a level of reverence um, for them uh but i think this this moment was probably the first time that i thought about oh yeah you know what the guy who made this thing was a scientist right the guy responsible for this was a scientist and he probably you know wasn't all that excited about the fact that it was being used in this way um and you know so like i i i really was able to resonate with oppenheimer and and um just, yeah, like, you know, like you said, Jason, like, oh, I made this thing. It's great. And I made this thing. It's terrible. Um, Yeah. So I, I thought it I thought it played really well.
2: I didn't miss the fact that we didn't see Japan. I think some of the desire for that is just perspective. You want to say, well, you know, this terrible thing did not happen to him. It happened to those people in Japan. That's not. that? that's not my objection, because I think seeing it through Oppenheimer's eyes and also keeping in mind you're in 1945, you're in a pre-24 hour satellite news channel world where what is going to be seen of Hiroshima when it is seen is going to be, first of all, quite a distance in time from when it actually happened. And second of all, it's going to be sanitized on some level Oppenheimer with a security clearance will probably see more of the you know film that the US military takes and probably far more than anybody in the audience of a of a movie newsreel would at the time but still the distance from the people who created the bomb to where it landed would have been greater in 1945 than it is now and i think that's properly reflected in the movie now i do think it's interesting that since we're so narrowly focused on Oppenheimer in general, as well as this part of the movie, I'm thinking about all those people that are cheering him. And I'm thinking about all the people who worked at Los Alamos. Did did none of them, was there no space to show them having regret? Probably not. I, I don't know. I, I think that's where I would have wanted energy gone uh, to go to, to, hmm. to the other, because they took, it's very much like this giant thing. I mean, they built a freaking town. They had, you know, hundreds of people, I don't know how many, 10 babies a month worth of people right. <laughs> uh, doing the doing these jobs. So it, it was not a small operation. And yet we are concentrated on a very small number of characters, relatively speaking. And so it's kind of hard to get the perspective of how big the project that eventually made those bombs was. And presumably how many different opinions people had and the point at which people might have had either regret or consternation or horror but we've structured the movie as a biopic of Oppenheimer so right. we're kind of stuck with that's whose perspective we're going to show it well, would probably also be weird to just pan around Los Alamos and have people drinking their coffee going wow this kind of sucks and
3: and there were we do see him dealing with people who are um resisting the process up front
2: mm-hmm. yep
3: um and and so before before this happens so so the sense that there is some dissent about what happens next and should we still work on this since Hitler is dead is there and then there's that there there's some scenes that are po- that are post like the immediate bomb drop where i think the scope becomes clearer but i also was but i think you're right i i i was struck by the fact that in that moment, like you put your you, you move to the middle of nowhere into terrible conditions and have been there for several years now doing this thing. And you did it to be told in some ways by the guy who ran the whole thing like, well, we did it. Good luck. Uh, you know, you did all a great job. I hope history doesn't consider us monsters. Goodbye. Right. Like it, it is. I think there's some human nature in that cheering. Right. Which is like, yeah, but we did it. We did it. Whatever the result is, you know, we accomplish something. And that's the, I I think, kind of the tragedy of it, right? Of them and Oppenheimer is like their greatest accomplishment is also horrible. It is. Yeah, it's fascinating. But but yeah, yeah, it's uh, you're right. You don't other than those little tiny views into other people, it's all people who are passing by Oppenheimer as he lives whatever his life is. Kathy, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I agree with you all about how they handled japan and and the actual like horrible things that the bombs did. I wish that they had put more energy into what the land that they built los the whole town on that was already you know owned by people and they lived there and yeah. they <laughs> the military basically came in and said, hey, you're gone. Here, let me give you 50 cents and get rid of your livestock and bye-bye yep. so we can build this town. And like, I wish that there had been a little bit more homage, a little more respect to, hey, oh, by the way, yeah, you can come back now to this land that may or may not kill you in the next <laughs> right. five to right. 50 years. Right. Who knows what's going to happen? And that that's the... That's one of the main parts that I was really. I wish that they had put a, even just a little bit of time on to let That's a people whole know movie. what happened. Yeah, like
3: the Trinity side especially, but even the people at Los Alamos. There is that one line where it's like, "Well, what should we do with it?" And he's like, "Give it back to the Indians," <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and they're like, "No, Thanks. no, 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 no. Thanks. We're gonna, we're gonna, we built those buildings. We're gonna turn it into a giant national nuclear lab, which it is yeah. to this day." Yes. Um, Oppenheimer. Interesting guy. His relationships with people in general and women in particular are discussed in this. Uh, I, I would say I appreciate the performances by Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I I don't know. Like, okay, I, I, it, it is. Like, <laughs> Tell us he, how you really feel, Jason. Well, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Like, there's stuff that is not even. In the movie or is barely touched on like that thing about at the very end of the movie, we get that line where they're like, oh, you know, this guy um, might testify about you because uh, he says you broke up this marriage in L.A. And he and his response is, oh, that's ridiculous. The husband never knew. Right, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. and that and that is the and he and you know it's true that they also gave their baby to friends and said you raised the baby we're out of here that totally happened um so lots of very peculiar things in the in it but um his obviously his relationship with gene tatlock and she is is uh it's in, like I like how he keeps bringing her flowers, but um, it, historically and in the movie, she is uh, she is uh, dealing with mental illness. Um, she does end up killing herself. The movie does leave open the possibility that somebody might have killed her, although there's no evidence to show that. Um, I, I think showing that this is not a sanitized view of this man is good. I will say the single most ridiculous thing in this movie is that he meets Gene Tatlock, cut to, she's naked on top of him, while he's mostly clothed, uh, demanding that he read from the Bhagavad Gita the actual <laughs> specific line that he is famous for quoting after the nuclear bomb. And I thought, what? <laughs> how did you feel Do about that? women? mean you mean that's
1: never, that never happened?
3: I love the women are on you? the podcast to explain <laughs> to me how they feel about the women in, the, in this movie, the very few of them that there are.
0: Yeah, I forgot about them. Who who were they? <laughs> what happened? Well,
3: and 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 there were lots of women at Los Alamos, that's the thing. Is they weren't not among the scientists, but like at, at Los Alamos, but we don't see a lot of them. We do get his wife and his mistress and that's Well,
0: I mean, that is, of course, the only identity that women can have is a wife or a mistress. So it's great that there was that representation (laughs) in in this
3: movie. I'm so happy. In the book, there are some very interesting women at Los Alamos and nearby who, who, like, ran a ranch that they would go to with the scientists. And she knew, and that woman knew more about, like... The comings and goings in almost everybody, but didn't say anything about it, uh, you know, throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And then at the very end, they revealed like who these pseudonyms really were, which were all these famous scientists. Like there are, are lots of interesting anecdotes about that and about the wives who were pressed into service to do, right. you know, to do all sorts of things and and uh, and making a life there. And there, there are they, and Nolan, There's so many
0: other stories they could have. Chosen to I, even yeah. have a hint of. Yeah. And I think Nolan was just bit. like
3: very tunnel vision about it, um, kept it to to very little. But the among the things he kept was getting Florence Pugh topless, uh, demanding reading from the Bhagavad Gita.
0: Right. I'm so glad that that time was was taken instead of any Super other. Important. Yeah. Well, and and I don't think you get
2: especially with Emily Blunt's character with his wife, you don't get a sense of the dynamics of the relationship. I mean, they do each of them does odd things in terms of their relationship, and she's obviously not the mother he would wish for his kids. Although he's not exactly the father one would wish no. for his kids, uh, but I I you can't get a read on either their relationship or her. It, I mean, she there's a couple points at which she's basically like telling him to, you know, uh, be, you know, stare stare down the, the, the villain, right? And, and you know, uh, that sort of thing. But it's It's not even, I'm, I'm so used to and so irritated by uh, historical pieces where it is, 98% white guys in suits and hats. And it's not even just a political thing for me. It's just boring. I just find it, oh, my God, here's another, oh, look, it's a famous actor in a suit and a hat. Uh, oh, great. But you. they're all, they're all,
3: Thank you for integrating alike. my hat observation into your <laughs> right. commentary. It is, there. Are, also it suits in hats.
2: No, I will say that ever since I saw L.A. Confidential and read that they purposely did not include hats in a 1950s film noir that was made in 1998, I'm very noti- I've noticed uh, historical hats. Got to have those hats. Very much. Well, uh, and Oppenheimer but then, but, is like
3: all about the hat. It's like his it costume is yeah, his hat.
0: His yes. hat and the pipe yeah you know those are the those are the things but but it's you know i it's whether whether you
2: object to it politically as i do or just as like could we get more women in the show it's just it's just boring to see all those all those same white Mm -hmm. guys and to and the women like yeah i mean what what would it be like living with a weird dude like oppenheimer i don't know because his wife was kind of a weird dude in her own right (laughs) yeah so (laughs) it's true That, that
3: does lead to a fascinating marital dynamic moment where they're like what you want you want her to testify you want kitty to testify and they're all like they've got their opinions about oppenheimer and various women that he slept with and all this and like how how could it possibly be but it shows in those scenes like she is a fierce protector of him and and i i did not come away from this movie understanding their relationship i'm not sure that anybody not in that relationship can understand it but i did leave thinking It's more complicated than I can understand from the outside. I did appreciate that about it. And there does seem to be I feel that way about
2: Oppenheimer in general, even with a three-hour movie, because so much of it is about this sort of... uh, the framing device of him narrating his life and then the various hearings and Admiral Strauss's hearing and all of that. Mm. Because it's so much structured by those events, you're not really getting as much of a sense of who that who the guy is in that last third of the movie by then if you're going to learn anything about who he is as a person you better have picked it up in the first two-thirds of the movie and even then i'm left look especially with all those close-ups i mean there's so many close-ups on faces but especially killian murphy's i'm left looking at him and going i still don't understand you dude and that may be the point that he's mm. he's a very mercurial dude with a lot of different, and he's not, and that's the other thing, the, 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 the trope that people fall in when they make biopics is, you try to tell a story of a person, this guy is like this, this guy does this, and everything he does in his life is an example of how he is and how he does this. That ain't how people are. And I think you very definitely get that with, with Oppenheimer, that he is, he is inconsistent. He is thoughtless. He is, uh, a, you know, presumably, well, he is. He's a brilliant scientist, which probably causes a lot of interesting uh, affects in his personality. But you, you can never say Oppenheimer is a and finish that sentence with yeah. one or two
3: words. Right. Yeah. It's. I think that's right. There is a, speaking of women in this movie, one of the very early scenes where there's the montage where like he's going to set up the new physics at Berkeley and there's the one guy and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. He's like, no, are you my student? He says his <laughs> yeah. name. He's like, please sit down. Yeah. And then he goes to the, the board and you turn around and now there's more people there. There is in that initial small group of students, a woman. And I had that moment of like, who is she? Movies like, You'll never see her again. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> she doesn't matter. <laughs> like,
2: see, we put a woman in, we, we, we put it. our got token name, woman, but, right? but she is doesn't the thing have a name. Is,
3: is, is, but on one level, I say to myself, well, wait a second, who is the woman who is taking theoretical physics at Berkeley in the 30s? Because that's an interesting story. Was there a woman there at that time, or did they put her in so that they could add a, you know, seventh credited woman in the movie? <laughs> I don't know, but I, so it's that's the conundrum there, right? is like if you're gonna put her there, like I kinda wanna know who she is, but it's like no, the movie's yeah. not interested in that in that at all it is it's hard, right, like I'm not sure anybody ever knows anybody but but Oppenheimer is like such a mess of contradictions and I do think that yeah. Nolan is sort of like yep <laughs> like yeah. well and, and, and to be guy. honest
2: when when you since there's so few women every time I see one that is not his wife or his mistress oh is he going to sleep with that woman is is that is that right. the idea Ooh, because there's a that new point, love interest mostly right, not. because there's that point right mostly not or that or not on the screen anyway mm. but there is a point where they <laughs> yeah. call him a womanizer which may in fact have been true I don't know my Oppenheimer history that well but he has a wife and a mistress. Did he have a whole lot of others? I don't know. The movie makes it a possibility, but doesn't dig in. And you it just know, makes, it, it just mentions
3: that. that one situation where the, the yeah. broke, the breakup oh, the of that woman. marriage right, and like right, the right, husband, right. this husband never knew based on the book. I would say it, he probably was not a womanizer in, in what we would consider high volume. But I think once you are, once you are um, like, like his wife was married when they met. Right. And, yeah. and, and Wouldn't,
2: hadn't she been married twice before? Yeah, I, I, sort and one of of them, I think she
3: so. was divorced. And then the second guy died yeah. in the Spanish civil war. And then she right. married this older right. kind of guy to take care of her. And then she meets Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer gets her pregnant and they agree to divorce at that point. So she can marry Oppenheimer and have the baby. Um, so she's got an interesting background too, but like, yeah, so, so even his marriage is from a position of infidelity. Um, right. and then, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's all what what I like about it though, is that it's not, it, it's not a sanitized hero story that this whole movie is about ambivalence and a- a- ambiguousness in the sense like ho- his whole life is like that, right? Like he is a man who accomplished great things and regretted the things he accomplished to a certain degree, but was still proud of them in another level. Right. Like it's all right. Right. Like, uh, yeah, it's, I, I find it fascinating, but, but to me, I I agree. I think that the book shows that there are some women at Los Alamos that I wish we had seen a little bit more of because they were present and, and, and it wasn't just men in hats in the life that Oppenheimer led, not at all. And we we miss some of that. And I also do think that that one scene with Florence Pugh is is not just ridiculous, but also sort of, like, gratuitous. Like, yes. this is not the kind of movie I expected to have. Like, I expect a movie from the 80s where they need to hold, like, a car wash in order to yep. save... Yep. Like, that's <laughs> right. the movie with a gratuitous yeah. boob the shot Rex in Center. it, right? right? Yeah. Not Oppenheimer 2023.
2: It's gratuitous in the sense that Uh, After I heard people talking about seeing in an IMAX, the other thing that people (laughs) said was, wow, that sex scene. You know that was somewhat intentional. I mean, come on, well, yeah. you're trying to sell a movie here. Which I don't, I'm not saying yeah. I, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that was that is a piece of commentary that mm. people made about Amita Oppenheimer. Oh, there's a sex scene, which is weird enough to hear if you're about to watch a movie about a nuclear scientist from World <laughs> War II. <Yeah. laughs> oh, wait, there's a crazy sex scene. All right, I'll be watching well, for that. I wouldn't <laughs> say.
3: I mean. Uh, crazy is not a, a word you're, you're that I would correct. say. You're correct. That is
2: that is not an accurate word. It is a bizarre. I, I, think, I think perhaps yes. people. I think perhaps it's that Sanskrit. Read spoke it to me. It, well, right. I have become <laughs> yeah. death
1: destroyer the, of
3: worlds. Does that turn you on?
1: Oh, right. uh, uh, people
2: uh. who mentioned it were probably looking for a way to say, "I I don't really get that. I don't. You know." Whether they said crazy or whether they said, "Wow, that is some sex scene," and left it at that, it was unusual enough to make the. You know, the, the uh, Cliff Notes b- version the of Offenheimer. B- the bullet point. Right. Of... Yes, the bullet point.
3: <laughs> what else should we talk about, about Offenheimer that we haven't <sighs> covered already?
0: I do wish that I had seen it on IMAX. Uh, I have only seen one movie on IMAX, and that was Charlie and the Chocolate—or sorry, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory— I know I know with Johnny Depp, and I'm still traumatized by the pores, so I was like <laughs> i i can't I can't see, I can't see this, and I wish that I had, so i you, you know. need to
2: cleanse yourself, Kathy, go ahead right, and
1: see
3: right, right, it Right I exactly. do,
0: I do, so it needs to do another run, please, uh close by me so I can go mm. go see it.
1: It'll probably happen. Yeah. Right, I, I guess this isn't about the movie, but the, but the aftermath of the movie, do you feel like it's deserving of the, uh, uh the nominations that it's received?
3: Well, I said it was my favorite movie of the year. So I do, but what does, what, what, what I mean, I, I, and as somebody who went in being like, well, I, I'm really anticipating this, but it is Christopher Nolan. Some, it's a hit and miss thing. I, I came out thinking, yeah, this is, this is the stuff for me, but I, I don't know. Uh, what other people think.
2: The way my brain works, I would have to say, did somebody else get robbed in order for the Oppenheimer to get the particular nomination that, that it got? Because I, I I, don't love it as much as Jason does. I have Who themes does? about... It. <laughs> <laughs> Set the gold standard right there. But I mean, it's it's... I, I have... It's really long. It, it's bloodless in some senses. I, I think some of the performances are really good. Some of them are meh. Uh, but I don't begrudge it its Oscars an Oscar nominations unless I actually sat down and looked at the mm. people in the category and went so-and-so got robbed. And I don't have one of those at the tip of my tongue. And we we don't have to talk about the whole Barbenheimer of it all.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know? yes, uh, I'll bring it up. I Go think ahead. that one of the snubs was Greta Gerwig for Best Director um in 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 this sense of things and the storytelling and the masterful way that she created a movie as well and i also wonder in an alternate universe if barbenheimer did not happen not and i again i'm on this podcast cuz i did enjoy it like i i thought it was a beautiful film i thought the people so passionate about it that sort of stuff etc I wonder how popular and in the zeitgeist of, you know, pop culture conversations would have existed before the movie came out, even like, yes, the Christopher Nolan fanboys would be all over it. But I I wonder how much of that popularity would have still been around if it hadn't have been in the whole weekend.
2: I think it still would have been nominated for a lot of awards. Oh, I feel yeah, like sure. that's separate. Yes. It might not
3: have been teetering on a billion dollars box office. I think definitely some people saw it kind of went along with the, the thing. Although it did dominate IMAX. I mean, this is famously the movie that made Tom Cruise really mad because they mm. booked all the IMAXs for this and right. then Mission Impossible came oh, out. Oh, Bonus. They- and they and they couldn't for like they had two weeks of Mission Impossible and then they had to, or a week and they had to drop it because they had they had planned this out. So I think it would have been big, but it it did get swept up in that cultural phenomenon. And I would say I would say there probably is a, a different director you could bump for Greta Gerwig in this category. There are some very interesting director nominees this year, but, <laughs> you know, so yes. Yeah, that.
0: Yeah, my, my phrasing was a little off. I don't think necessarily that Christopher Nolan should not be nominated. That's why
2: for I best didn't go director. there because I yeah. couldn't think of who else was on the list. And yeah, I think Gerwig should have gotten nominated as well. But I couldn't say, well, Nolan shouldn't have, and so and so should have. Right. You know?
1: right. Yeah. Uh, I just I don't know that it it deserved uh, best film editing. Uh, there were there were better edited films i i don't know i i yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah how can you I, even tell honestly Right, I, sometimes yeah.
3: I'm worried that the people who vote for best film editing and they are Academy members, but still right. I worry that they're like, were there a lot of quick cuts or oh, there's right. two timelines <laughs> that must have been hard to edit. and It's like no, that's right. just right. editing a movie. Is there a <laughs> haberdashery
0: <laughs> category in the
2: Oscars? Oh, man. Well, it's costume
3: design. So, clearly, right,
0: right, right. I mean, the editing clearly had to be done manually because it was all you know analog. So right, that's right, why, clearly, that's clearly, why
1: that's right, you yeah. get the no editing not because they had to
0: touch yeah.
1: things. Right. I, I actually, yeah, I, I wouldn't be. Uh, compl- Completely surprised that he was like, "Oh, this film was set in 1944, so we we started using uh, the 44 editing techniques." You know,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's also all on nitrate film, but it was- right, right, right,
1: oh, right. No. exactly, exactly. Don't light any pipes near right, it.
2: Don't light exactly. Don't put your <laughs> pipe near the film.
3: Um, yeah, it is. You know, sometimes it just the most nominated movie is sometimes the most hailed movie of the year. And sometimes it just happens to fall in certain categories where it, where it gets it. So like this is best picture and director, uh, Killian Murphy for best actor Downey for best supporting actor. Okay. I mean, depends on who he's up against. It was a much less stacked category than best supporting actress where yeah. Emily Blunt did get nominated. Um, Nolan for screenplay score, Goranson, and then they got the technical awards sound, production design. So that's yeah. the pl- the rooms in which the men wear their suits and hats. <laughs> <laughs> Cinematography, <laughs> makeup and hairstyling, the hair under the hat.
1: Costume
3: design, there's your suits there's and your hats. hats. Right. There's your suits. Yeah. Yeah. And film yeah. editing. Right. Because. Yeah. It's black and white black and white oh yeah boy they, it's harder to edit when it's in black and white you don't know where the <laughs> <Right>. colors went
0: <laughs> well as we all know it was already in black and white so they didn't have to edit any of that coloration away <laughs> <Okay>. sure <laughs> I appreciate the
2: technical level of this podcast I tell you it's great <laughs> <laughs> we're
0: professionals
2: yes.
3: I mean, yes. Yes. in terms of deserve like I haven't seen all the movies that have been nominated all the 10 for best picture this was the favorite of the movies I saw last year it just hit me right um, the, it's long and yet i i think to 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 nolan's credit and perhaps to his editor's credit as well Mm -hmm. it's a three-hour movie until that like the hearing stuff that i feel like is a little bit long but like it doesn't feel endless and boring or at least to me i feel like he always gives it a sense of it's not geography right it's time but like it Everything is connected. Everything moves along at a pace. It keeps cutting sort of between different things. The action moves forward. Having read the book since I saw it the first time, I appreciate some of the shorthand he does to get details of Oppenheimer's life in without dwelling on him because it's already a long movie. We need to not do that. I think it it's technically really well done. I think the screenplay is pretty good uh, and 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 plays off of the two timelines cleverly. Like, there are a lot of things I really like about it. I haven't seen... Uh, enough movies to say if it's definitively the best. And of course the Oscars never tells us that either. And it's right. silly to <laughs> reward art. I am glad that Barbie got as many nominations as it did because it was the story of the year yeah. in film and Oppenheimer. Yes. The amusing juxtaposition of those two films, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's good because people went and saw movies and that's yes. good. Yes. They're very yeah. different movies.
1: Yeah. I, I, um I'm kind of glad that we ended if or or that we're at this point because 2023 was the year that I returned to the cinema mm-hmm. uh in in a way that was pre, you know, pre the before times. So, you know, I'm I I feel like I'm in the post times and and I probably go to I don't know 30 conservatively 30 films a year. Um. So, like, but
2: well, you've got that you know, nine dollar movie theater, right? Right. Exactly. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. I so, most also of the time, go to that right, movie I go to or... the movie.
1: Right. I go to the movies all the time because it's a thing to do. Because most of the time, I'm not even paying nine dollars. I'm paying seven dollars with reserve seats, uh, with recliners. Go and, rub it in, Whitehead. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Right. I'm gonna yeah. Flip it's my beautiful. table at you, secret room. movie theater. <laughs> right. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Shout out to you guys. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> but
2: not but, dropping but, the name. I know. You're not even dropping the. name
0: <laughs> <game>. wow <laughs> gotta keep it um, a secret
1: that's right, that's right, that's how it stays a secret so but uh yeah, I so I really do appreciate um all of the films and I got to see a bunch of films this year, a bunch of films that are on the best picture list. I love this film, I thought it was fantastic, but I will say, uh, if I'm allowed to plug what my favorite film of last year Please was do. in. I saw it this year because it wasn't in, ri- in wide release, but American Fiction was oh, great phenomenal, things. phenomenal. Um, it, it was, if yeah. So uh, if you take away uh, one thing from this uh, podcast, go see Oppenheimer. If you take away two things, go see American Fiction.
3: Yeah. Also Best Picture nominee. Yes. Yeah. I want to see that. Cord Jefferson. Yes. Yeah. Really want to see that.
1: Kathy and
3: Shelly, what were your favorite movies of of last year? Why not?
0: Uh, Yeah. I'm going to be, you know, basic white girl. Barbie Barbie stole my heart. Not just the experience. I went opening night with my kid and one of my best friends and her daughter. We all wore pink. Everyone, the energy in that theater was something that I had not seen since like... Lord of the Rings opening weekend. Like, it just was so much fun laughing, crying with a group of people. And then the movie itself, I've watched it half a dozen times. And I'm not a big rewatch movie type person. But if I'm like, I want to feel, you know, go team. uh, I'll put it on on the side while I'm working. And it just makes me happy, um, which I love about a movie i want to be happy <laughs> when i <laughs> when i finish it which you know oppenheimer still enjoyed it not quite that energy <laughs> of,
1: not, you know? yeah, not quite the film <laughs> that you're putting on to right feel happy
0: yes yes yeah but uh yeah barbie is is my number one
2: I'll just go ahead and say Superman 3. No, uh, uh. <laughs> I, did, I did not. I saw a lot of movies for podcasts. I, I did uh, not see a lot of sure. new movies this year. I will just mention one that I really want to see and haven't seen yet uh, is May, December. Uh, Because that's like right in my wheel. I I love Barbie too. I I loved. I did not do the whole pink because I I guess I'm not a joiner in that way. I like to hide in the back of the theater and go (laughs) and chuckle and join myself (laughs) instead of making a delightful spectacle of myself. And more power to you, Kathy, and all your all your pink colleagues. Oh yeah, I
0: I I enjoy making a delightful spectacle of myself (laughs) because the next night we went to Six the Musical in outfits and then the now next see, day we went to taylor swift that. so like it was a yeah. three-day week wow. of, high of you know extravagant outfits Wild. and it was delightful yeah.
2: uh yeah actually i did yeah so yeah. i don't i don't have a proper favorite movie all right and it
3: is not oh. superman 3 i'll check back uh. in 20 years though Maybe well you know right. i guess i'm gonna next time i go see oppenheimer i gotta just put on a suit and wear a hat That's just how that's going to have to be.
0: You cannot smoke your pipe in the theater. But
3: you can have one with with
1: bubbles. It's just bubbles. Yeah.
3: All right. We have come to the end. Uh, I definitely, as I said, I definitely recommend Oppenheimer. I think that it's very good. And I don't even like all the Christopher Nolan movies, and I thought it was good. So, Uh, yes. And everyone is talking about it. Uh, So, time time (laughs) to do an episode about it, I think. Thank you to my panelists for joining me. Kathy Campbell, thank you.
0: Thank you so much. We're not convincing, just denying.
3: Shelley Brisbane, thank you.
2: Thank you. Uh, I intend to wear a hat to the next podcast I'm on. Don't have one on right now, but that is my aspirational hope.
3: I love it. I love it. And Cicero Holmes, thank you. We're, we'll find
1: you at the movies at a secret location. <laughs> In a yeah. secret location. Near me. Uh, yeah, I, I like to wear suits, but I, the wool makes me itchy.
2: <laughs> you need a linen suit. Yeah. That's... Oh, you'd look sharp in a linen six. Uh, yeah, right? There you go.
3: Yeah.
1: There you go.
3: And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.